Welcome back to Blazing Trails. I'm your host, Michael Revo from Salesforce Studios. Our Dreamforce coverage continues, and I'm pretty excited about today's episode. We're going to hear from Kara Swisher in conversation with Stuart Butterfield, president and CEO of Slack. Kara Swisher is the co-host of the Pivot podcast, along with Scott Galloway. It's an award-winning podcast from Vox Media, and you can catch the video version of Pivot on Salesforce Plus. That's our business streaming network at salesforce.com slash plus. So in the conversation today, Stuart shares his thoughts on the future of work, the metaverse, and what's next for Slack. Let's take a listen. Hey, everybody. All right. I'm so glad to be back in San Francisco. I'm so happy. I love it here. Anyway, let's get talking with someone I've known for 100 years, at least, uh, Stuart Butterfield. Okay. Hi, Stuart. Hey. How are you doing? We just talked backstage. That was kind of fake. Um, so <laughs> I want to talk, I want to start talking because we're sort of, being back in San Francisco, being out, Dreamforce is back. Um, I, I, I'm thrilled it is. I was glad that you're sort of taking over the streets, even though it used to be super annoying. It's slightly less annoying now. Um, but let's talk a little bit about back at work. Let's start with there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we'll talk about some of the products, because obviously companies like Slack, like Zoom, like a lot of did really well in the pandemic, was really critical. Um, but now everything's changed, and you've got all these sort of terms that I'm not so sure will stay or not. I just like your, your sort of 1,800-foot view down of what's happening right now in the it's workplace. Oddly specific. Yes, altitude. 1,800, yeah. Um, so... I don't like the phrase back to work because hopefully right. people were working that, that whole time. That's true. And um, Fair. I've been doing this kind of thought experiment where if you imagine like an alternate timeline where it's, uh, sorry for anyone who came to my keynote and heard me say exactly the same thing, but mm-hmm. um, imagine March of 2020 where we were allowed to travel for work and commute, use offices, conference mm-hmm. rooms, business meetings, all that stuff, but you took away all the software then every large enterprise would have just disintegrated in 24 hours. Like everyone Mm -hmm. would have ceased to exist. So at some point in the last 30 or 40 years, the relative importance of the physical headquarters and the digital headquarters kind of inverted. And yeah, we say digital HQ as kind of a marketing term, Mm -hmm. but there is actually some digital infrastructure that supports productivity and and collaboration. And uh, I think people don't invest nearly as much as they could in Mm -hmm intentionally designing the way that they uh, they work, given how infinitely configurable the digital HQ is. All right, but, the, but people definitely, this was sort of the biggest experiment in human history in yeah. terms of working from home. I have always worked from home. I have always had digital, we ran Recode, we ran everything. Sometimes we'd meet and have lunches and do very intentional things. We're, a lot of people are, you know, tech is sort of leading the way of tech workers don't want to go back. People live different places. They're being very allow, allowances, but other companies are not. They're, they're wanting to bring people back. I just interviewed head of Goldman. He was like, I want everyone in the office. There's all kinds of different people that are doing that. Where do you imagine the balance? Because there's this idea that millennials really like not working uh, at the office. I know from our own businesses, nobody is there. How do you, where do you imagine it going now? And then what's important? Because it was sort of, everyone just grabbed what they could and started figuring it out. And it worked in the workplace better than in schools or somewhere else. So what do you imagine is, has to happen? 
Well, even if we talk about the, the balance of power shifting a little bit more towards the employer from the employee over mm-hmm. the last, I don't know, six months or so since the market started tanking. Um, but I think there's still a lot more power on the employee side. I mean, I'll, I'll say from my perspective, obviously I'm not an average person, but I'm never commuting to the office five days a week again, mm-hmm. for sure. There's mm-hmm. no chance of that. I have a 16-month-old, and that's, um, I just imagine uh, if he was born three years earlier, it would have been a totally different experience. Mm-hmm. I'd waste much less time, all that stuff. But I think there's uh, two things. On the employee side, if you have two offers from um, different companies and their compensation's about equal and the kind of the, what the work was equally interesting and good for your career, and one says you have to be in the office five days a week and the other one says you can be in the office as much as you want to or, or need to, who would take the you know, like options have value no matter mm-hmm. what? Um, there are a, like a small handful of exceptions there where people really want to be in the office and they want all of their colleagues to also be in the office. Um, but I think the overwhelming majority of people would prefer the flexibility, not even so much because of the, um, of the location of the work, but because of the time. They have mm-hmm. a lot more flexibility with time. And we've done a lot of surveying through the Future Forum. And after compensation, time flexibility is, is the most desirable thing. Mm-hmm. On the employer side... Um, we we could say two days in the office, but it would be kind of pointless at this point because the teams have already mixed around so much. Because like in, in November of 2020 or June of 2021, you're an engineer wants to work on this project. We, we never we stopped looking to see what city you're in, and mm-hmm. we stopped saying if you live in the city, you can only work on these three mm-hmm. these things. So it's all mixed up anyway. So if you did go to the office for two days a week, it would be with a random selection of other people, and it doesn't mean that uh, we don't want to get together in person because I think there's enormous value to that. Um, but it, the two days a week thing feels uh, like all of the cost of demanding that people come in with, in most cases, very little of the benefit because the chances that the people who are in the office two days a week are going to be working on the same thing as you is very, very low. So what, what, how do people manage? Because a lot of people talk about intentional gathering, which you mentioned, the idea that everyone's in on a Wednesday or everybody's there on a certain day. Yeah. Um, Obviously, it's going to have implications for commercial real estate, et cetera, and stuff. And, and I noticed you all built a big tower here uh, recently. Yeah. Um, how do you think about, what, what do you do then? And because there are some benefits. Uh, Scott and I were talking about on Pivot the other day. There are benefits to being together, especially you're a young person. You know, social mentorship. Take the other side. Yeah. So, I mean, the I go to our office in New York and most of the floors are closed, but it's still, it's humming because there's a lot of, especially younger people um, who have two roommates and they live in Manhattan or Brooklyn and there's just, like, it's physically impossible for them all to be doing Zoom calls in the, in the same tiny apartment. Uh, Tokyo is another place where people are, are back to the office because like, the built infrastructure doesn't support working from home. Um, a little bit of that's true in London, but mm-hmm. but less so. But occupancy overall, I, I saw it yesterday, and I don't remember, unfortunately, mm-hmm. so this might be incorrect. Um, I believe it's still 40% for midtown Manhattan. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a pretty big reduction. So when you say back to normal, it's not at all. I mean, like no. if, you're, if you're a dry cleaner on 52nd Street, it does not feel at all um, right. normal for you. The The flip side is, I guess... I like to be around other people. I like the energy. Um, creativity. Creativity. Uh, more of a work-life separation, because that's obviously a real problem when, with everyone's working from home. It's not just that, like, 
I can't remember which way it goes, that your home got into your work, but your work definitely got into your, your home, and it's much mm -hmm. harder to make that distinction. And I guess the, um, the, the last one, looking at it as, a, as an executive, one of the things I think we miss from the old world is this, the weak social ties. So people still get a very good sense of their peers and their manager or their direct reports, um, but you don't stand next to random people who work at the company in the elevator or behind them for coffee or sit next to them in the all hands. And if you're a salesperson, knowing someone on the commercial legal team can be really valuable. If you're a recruiter, knowing someone in the employment law, or the, just those connections are, are much harder to, um, to create. But I think the, the net answer is we are slowly going to reconfigure our cities, our homes, um, and accommodate a lot more um, working remotely. And ideally, from Slack's perspective, adopting a lot more asynchronous practices so that people have the temporal flexibility as well, because I think that, again, is even more important. So talk about that, because one of, some of the things are adequate to the task, some of the things aren't. You can't yeah. live perpetually in a video environment. You could. No. You could. Talk, what, what do you imagine it looking like? For many, you and I have been around forever, and we'll talk about that in a second, but you know, you had, remember when Cisco had the presence thing that never really worked, mm -hmm. like didn't work, and then they had holograms that were super expensive, um, and then there were the idea of VR is another one that they keep promising, and it never, it, you know, it's sort of somewhere after jetpacks and that it's coming soon. Um, what, what, do you, what do you think is important to move the needle so people do feel that there is an environment, because there's a creativity that you lose when you aren't together. Yeah, I think the, it's the rhythm of getting together in person, because I, I think it's worth it for, it's hard to, for me to imagine a role that's at all interesting for someone to do where it wouldn't be useful to get together. So for some teams that might be just once a year or mm -hmm. uh, every six months, for some teams that might be every other week. But I feel like getting together for the purpose of creating the work or uh, prioritizing or coming up with a plan, but I look at uh, Slack's headquarters is a couple blocks that way, mm -hmm. 240,000 square feet that has 40 or 50 people going into it on an, on an average day now. But where, I don't know, 190,000 of those 240,000 square feet are just like kind of factory farm battery chicken housing for people to sit and use their laptop by themselves and not talk to anyone and sometimes even have headphones on. And that, that part they can do anywhere, right? Mm -hmm. But the um, intentionally coming together to plan, to prioritize, to build relationships, to deepen trust, um, I think is, is going to continue to be important. And it means like a broader reconfiguration, which is probably not super interesting for everyone. But uh, Every, every company got a great bonus during the pandemic, which was their travel and entertainment expense went boom, and everyone got a couple more points of margin. And um, now that we're planning to get people, like deliberately get people together again, the fact that you hired someone in Ohio and they got paid 20% less doesn't matter as much mm -hmm. if you're going to be flying them to San Francisco or New York three times a year and paying for hotels. And mm -hmm. so we have to reimagine how we budget as well. Um, I, I know that's a little bit boring. The... Opportunity is, let's just see like a show of hands in the room. Um, how many of you have heard of the Amazon six-page memo format for meetings? All right, so almost everyone. And uh, it's kind of a trick question because everyone's heard of it because there's so few efforts uh, made to improve the efficacy of meetings or to improve people's communication. You think about it, if you're a manager, um, you spend approximately 100% of your working time on communication. It's like one-on-one mm -hmm. -on -one meetings, right. reading and writing messages, yeah. like, you know, all that stuff. Um, 
and you look through the organization to the people who spend the least amount of their working hours on internal communication, it's still going to be 30 or 40%. So let's say you have a 10,000-person company. Your payroll cost is about a billion dollars. You have, on average, 50 or 60% of people's time is spent on um, on communication, that's five or six hundred million dollars a year you're spending for it to have people communicate, and you probably don't even give them 15 minutes of training. Like, mm-hmm. there's no onboarding course about how to run more effective meetings, how to write better, mm-hmm. to be more concise. And um, I, I feel like because it's intangible, because it's electronic, digital, um, there's this predisposition to say we just want to lower the cost of, of software, whereas if you had a physical um, plant, if you have a, a factory, and you're doing things in an inefficient way, then it's like it's an emergency to, to change it. And mm-hmm. um, we, we are augmented by our software tools in the same way that people you know, producing physical objects are augmented by all the robots and mm-hmm. all the automation. Um, but again, because it's not tangible, we don't see it, and so we don't see the opportunities, and so we end up in situations where um, humans do a lot of repetitive, mindless, kind of mind-numbing work that, that could be automated, um, and it's also just more expensive. Well, so what, how does that then change? I mean, I, my policy is I don't do meetings at all. I refuse, um, and then they can text me. I'm like, you can text me. That's my, my producer loves it. I'm like, just text me, and I'll get back to you. Um, but I actually do refuse meetings, and I remember years ago, if you remember the Google guys stopped doing meetings completely? Yep. They, ref- they got rid of their assistants, and therefore their assistants couldn't get them on your schedule because they didn't want to get on anybody's schedule Um, because Google people do that. They're very aggressive grabbing bits of time. Um, In any case, that's neither here nor there. But what what is... What does that, what can the software do? Because I think about what does it look like? Because it certainly isn't going to look like it does now where it's essentially you know, writing little memos to each other versus emails or talking within a thing. What does that look like going forward? Because I think about that a lot. If it's going to be the way people work, what does it, does it have to have video elements, VR elements? Does it, what what do you foresee happening? So uh, um, I feel like I'm right more than 50% of the time, just kind of barely. Um, So it could be wrong about this. It's called a Um, guess, but go ahead. (laughs) Uh, The the metaverse just has zero appeal to me as a, as a working tool. Like it might be okay for some novelty Thing, mm-hmm. But certainly you're never going to do that all day, every day. You right. write about video. It's just absolutely exhausting. Mm-hmm. Um, so the search for us has been, how can we take um, processes that today must be synchronous? In other words, like everyone's doing it at the same time and make an asynchronous alternative that's better. Mm-hmm. Um, and not, not everything is kind of amenable to that. Mm-hmm. You can't do it for everything. But... Um, Here's my, here's my pitch. Okay, so Slack announced yesterday Canvas, which is a flexible container for arbitrary digital objects, which is, makes perfect sense to me and is not a marketing term. Yeah, no. Uh, yeah. Um, arbitrary digital. And then we have the huddles, which is like audio first. Yeah. There's, kind of, there's a distinction between a meeting and, and a working session. And a meeting um, in this way of, of looking at things is... There's 12 people, there's a, pres- there's a deck, I'm gonna walk through the deck, we're gonna do some questions, have a discussion, and that's it. Mm-hmm. The working session is um, a group of network operations engineers diagnosing a production incident or marketers preparing to launch a new version of the website and going mm-hmm. through the burn down list. And so the, we do both of those, we call them meetings, we use the same tools and stuff like that, but they're actually pretty different activities. So um, my dream is we figure out how to put the uh, live communication tools 
on top of uh, the canvas, that, that flexible container, mm-hmm. so that at a minimum, after the meeting, you get a receipt. Because you don't even get that today. You just have the dead calendar entry that says this meeting took place at this time with these people. Yeah, but then, yes, exactly. The notes that would have been in a separate doc, why have the black void behind you on the Zoom call when you could have the notes right there? Um, And, you know, nice previews of all the presentations that were shared. And anytime someone refers to a document and and the chat that goes along with it. And if you can make that uh, good enough, then people will get invited to meetings a couple years in the future and say, nah, that's cool, I'll just catch it later. And right now, we don't have that. Like, you spend 30 hours a week, and there's no accretion of value. There's no right. kind of artifact that's left behind. Um, and I, uh, I don't know, two months ago, I blew 45 minutes trying to find a slide deck that someone showed me in a meeting last week. Mm-hmm. Like, no one, no one could find it. Uh, so I'm optimistic that there can be some... Um, improvements there, but then you go up against human nature. And here, humans are your, your choices, A versus B. A is um, carefully articulate your thoughts in written form and then edit it for clarity and, and concision, um, distribute it to your peers, and then evaluate their written feedback and incorporate their ideas. Well, and B is have a meeting for 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. So this is like, would you like to eat broccoli and Brussels sprouts, and this is like, would you like a Snickers bar or something mm-hmm. like that? Mm-hmm. It's, a very uh, dull Snickers bar, but yes. Yeah. It's, uh, it just seems so much easier to, to talk about it live that mm-hmm. um, we, so, we do that way more than we should. Israel, you just could totally dismiss uh, Mark Zuckerberg's future uh, by saying, <laughs> <laughs> but that, I'm good with that because I agree with you. Um, but tell me, explain why that is. Cause, because metaverse would be something you might just start banding about at investor conferences. I can see you doing that. Like not you in particular, but it's, 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 it's a, a buzzword. And you, you know, Sachin Adele is talking about it with his, his legless people in his meetings and stuff. They explain, they spent literally two hours on the phone explaining to me why no legs, but that's, and it, there's no good reason. Um, uh, can you talk about why you think that's not the way, um, besides all the issues that you come with it? Yeah, I remember, um, it's like around 2000, maybe 2001, 2002, this Bill Gates interview where he's talking about the future of commerce. And it was like a, a 3D recreation of the store with the aisles and you can push your cart down. Yeah. The, it's like, who would want that when you can just search for the item and, and like click add to cart or something mm-hmm. like that? Mm-hmm. The cumbersome, like there's a video, maybe Walmart, mm-hmm. someone like that. It was some metaverse NFT da 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 thing, and it showed someone like trying <laughs> trying to pull the item off the shelf in mm-hmm. the metaverse and put it into the cart, and like that's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. The advantage of all the stuff is you transcend space, you transcend time, mm-hmm. and you're able to um, to accomplish a lot more as a result. Having said that, again, there might be novelty uses, but mm-hmm. it's just kind of unimaginable. You don't see work being like being like well, that. Yes, I don't see knowledge work. I, mm-hmm. If I'm um, uh, work at Airbus or Boeing, wiring up an A320 or a 767, having an AR yeah, overlay with like stuff. yeah, with like all the wiring and stuff like that would be amazing. Surgical applications mm-hmm. and stuff like mm-hmm. that. But accounts payable, product marketing, mm-hmm. like, is it, why would you want to be in the metaverse with? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you don't see it as a big thing you're leaning into. No, not at all. Yeah. all right. Like I said, can't be wrong. Can't be wrong. You're right. Uh, <laughs> AR? I mean, one of the things about that metaverse, it was so interesting when they put, I, I thought it was the most non-creative use of it, is you can change your outfit. I'm like, okay. <laughs> 
fine. But it, did, it, made, it made no sense to me in terms of the creativity. Do you, what about AR? Because I just interviewed Tim Cook, and he's, that's all he talks besides Auburn football. All he can talk about is AR, <laughs> um, which is literally the most boring conversation you can have. So you move to AR because Auburn football is so boring. But um, <laughs> AR, is, they're leaning into that very heavily. Yeah. What, what does that do in any way for the workplace? Do you imagine that being a critically important function or not I, at all? I, I can imagine it. So I don't know how things will turn out. But I remember um, the guy from Magic Leap, Roni, yes. contacted me and said, like, we should work on a Magic Leap Slack integration. And I was mm-hmm. like, are you kidding me? Like, I want to put goggles on and then see Slack messages appearing in an overlay yes. in reality. That sounds yes. horrible. And I, I mean, obviously, I like Slack. Yeah. But being confronted with it in the, yeah. uh, in the AR world doesn't sound great. What I can imagine, though, is... Um, at some point, we're going to transcend the, the form factor of the smartphone. Right. Um, I have no idea what that looks like. There's a lot of companies glasses, doing interesting glasses, things. Glasses, glasses, or watches, or holograms, or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, the thing that I like about AR, potentially, is being able to take advantage of a fuller spectrum of our perceptual abilities, because we're mm-hmm. good at having things in the periphery and noticing mm-hmm. changes and being able to turn towards those. And I, I think there is a lot of... Um, effort that feels forced and uh, just kind of like the, the 2D experience of the smartphone or the desktop computer and the moving the mouse and, and things like that is like an impediment to what we're able to accomplish. Because if there was some, you know, telepathic type, ability to do, yeah, to like to set up a spreadsheet by just going like this. Um, <laughs> is that how you have to do it? Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> That would, would definitely be better. So there, yeah. there might be, like, applications there. Applications there. Um, are you investing any? No. No, no, not right now, because the form factor works. Yeah, and, and honestly, I mean, I, we also have the stories about Apple submitting the trademarks for whatever AR thing. Who's going to compete with Apple on that stuff? Like, right, be, that's true. It's going to be rough. I think that's the whole point, is that they're not. Um, so when you're thinking about that, when I, I always think about the book is what I think about. Sometimes I'm like, the book kind of works. It kind yeah. of works as a, as, a, as a device of communication. That said, a digital book also works, you know, very well, uh, very well because these form factors are getting better and better. Right now, you know, you and I have been around a long time. Stuart, I met, I met when he was doing a, a failed company, a gaming company, um, uh, which became Slack, so good for you. Yep. Um, uh, worked out well. Um, but you, you were sort of obsessed with that idea of gaming. I think your first company was a gaming company. Everything was a game. The other one that failed. Yes, yes, right. So whatever he does in gaming, invest in that company and stick around is because the gaming is not going to work. Um, but you talk about why you were interested in that because I'm really interested in where innovation is going to come. I want to finish up talking about that. Silicon Valley's going through a lot, has been, you know, a lot of the regulatory stuff. I'm spending a lot of time in Washington. Um, some of it deserves, some of it's just common just because of that way. Yeah. Where does, how do you create innovation? You just mentioned Apple so big. Um, that's, you know, it's the same thing with all these companies, whether it's Amazon or Alphabet or whatever. Um, uh, although Meta's really small now, interestingly enough. Um, not that small, but small enough. Um, can you talk about where you think about that? Because you have, you've started things up, you've had failures, but then it turns into something else. What does, how do you get to innovation in this era? Because it's very different. Silicon Valley is not a place anymore, really. Everybody's you know, scattered to the winds and gone to whatever chalet in Montana they need to go to. Um, talk a little bit about how you do that when there's not the place. Yeah, sure. Because here's a physical so, gathering, which is very exciting, actually. To, to the... Um 
to the first part of that, so started a company to make a web-based massively multiplayer game. It failed. That became Flickr, um, and that got acquired by Yahoo. And, of course, I was at Yahoo when you were the demon terrorizing. I was not a demon. I was absolutely, <laughs> completely correct. But go ahead. <laughs> I just want to say, I wasn't, I wasn't the source. I okay. And, but I actually appreciate Yes, he was completely the source of everything. <laughs> No, he was. Um, very uncooperative. And then, yes, we started another company, the same group of people, to build a web-based massively multiplayer game, and that became Slack. But to me, it's the same um, experience that I had in 1992 when I got to college, and I was given an account on the school's mainframe and was exposed to the Internet for the first time. And I grew up in uh, Victoria, British Columbia, which is very provincial, kind of on the periphery of the, of the continent, like, you know, in a physical sense, but it's also on an island, and you just feel very removed. And the transcending time and space to be able to communicate with all these people was felt really magical. Mm-hmm. So the use of computing technology to facilitate human interaction has been the focus, whether that's like massively multiplayer game, massively multiplayer photo sharing, massively multiplayer game again that didn't work, um, massively multiplayer workplace software. To me, it's all the, the same. Um, and I feel like we're very uh, early is probably the wrong word. Um, there's so much more to experiment with. Mm-hmm. People talk sometimes about, like, wouldn't you like to consolidate all of your messaging apps in, into one? Because it's yes. so. But there is something very distinct about interacting with someone um, in Snapchat versus Instagram versus WhatsApp versus text messages. Um, and that, I think there's a lot more for us to explore. And we use this example sometimes, like in the 19th century, the Thames River and the Charles River in Boston would catch on fire all the time. Um, we figured out how to have the benefits of the Industrial Revolution without the, the most severe consequences. And I, I feel like we're in a similar position with respect to technology, especially social technologies, where it, it's obviously an enormous benefit, but it's overwhelming for our fragile psychological you know, mechanisms that were um, evolved to deal with small tribal groups and stuff like that. So I think there, there are negative consequences to social networking services. There are negative consequences to kind of like phone addiction. I don't know how many of you ever get that thing from screen time on your iPhone that says like, congratulations, you were down 7% to 11 hours a day mm-hmm. on your... <laughs> On your phone. Um, But we'll figure that out. Like, humans are are really endlessly inventive. Um, I I think there's still a little bit of an advantage to being in the Bay Area. Mm -hmm. Um, But I I think we'll continue to see more all over the place. Do these moves by regulators to make things, to to allow smaller companies? You came from smaller companies, obviously. You're at a larger company. How do you continue to keep that ecosystem, whether it's distributed or in one place, is there still, when you have these massive companies, which are very innovative right now, they really are. I mean, yep. you couldn't say Apple's not innovative. You couldn't, they, they're all, Amazon is certainly in, innovative. How do you keep that spark of innovation going? So it, this is an area where I th- there's a little bit of mystery to me because obviously, uh, well, you can all go on Wikipedia and you can look up the components of the Dow index from any given year. So it's kind of fascinating to go back 100 years and look at like ni- 1922, it's, American Leather Corporation, um, U.S. Steel, American Rubber, uh, mm. like stuff like, like wood and mm-hmm. coal, and um, everything changes. I think that there'll be perpetual opportunities. I, I don't think the lock-in of Google or Facebook or mm-hmm. Amazon or anyone is um, uh, a perfect moat. And 
if you just look at companies that were started, let's say 2008 or, mm -hmm. or after, that went public in the last five years, there's like a probably a couple trillion dollars of combined market cap um, of all those companies, and they just keep on coming. So uh, there are good regulations. I think we can have some unintended consequences if there's just kind of like a re reflexive, reactive. Right, cap. right. Last question very fast. Okay. You had a kid over the pandemic. I had two. I'm yep. not saying I'm better, but I am. You are faster. Um, <laughs> yeah, lesbians are really fast and having children. Um, <laughs> And we should raise all the children, but I, that's another time for another place. Um, but what, what does the workplace look for our kids, our, my many kids, your single child? Um, what, what does it look like for them going forward very quickly? Man, that is a, honestly a fascinating question that I have not thought about very much because it's just it's so hard to predict that far in the future. But um, I guess I will say it is not going to be the battery chicken factory farm housing for people to sit and use their laptops by themselves. Maybe that AR comes into play and we have a, you know, a broader um, array of abilities that, that uh, enable us to work together. But I, I, I'm going to go out on a tiny little nub of a, of a limb um, and say that I think the smaller, like this kind of second tier U.S. cities that grew in population uh, over the pandemic, the kind of the movement of people, the decision that I'm going to trade having a much larger house with a yard for, mm -hmm. for being in this physical center, um, the slow reconfiguration of our homes to accommodate more work, all of that stuff will, will continue um, and uh, it will be a much more flexible world. Great. Stuart Butterfield, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that was Kara Swisher, co-host of Pivot, the award-winning podcast from Vox Media, speaking with Stuart Butterfield, president and CEO of Slack. To hear and see more of Dreamforce, head over to Salesforce Plus. That's salesforce.com slash plus. Blazing Trails is a production of Salesforce Studios, produced by Rachel Levin and engineered by Ryan Kleeman and Michelle Luong, with original music by Andrew Duncan. I'm Michael Rebo. Thanks for listening.